Dateline, Iowa City. This just in from Biblioville. A wife and her husband checks each other out the worst books they can find. Apparently, get this The Problem of Evil by James Runcie. Mick reads it. And also, Susan reads Alexander Freed's Battlefront Twilight Company. Star Wars. Al Capone and his men are going to the hideout. I'm tired of the old thing. Bibliophile. Welcome to Bibliophile, the terrible book exchange podcast. I'm your co-host, Susan Dickinson. And I'm your other co-host, Mick Dickinson. Usurped once again. I I think at this point, it's not even usurping anymore. It's just like a a, a trade-off. Well, like you got to do it last time. I think it's only fair. Mm. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, lead us into our intro content, Susie. Um, for our intro content, um, this is a terrible book exchange <laughs> podcast. We have some books. Mine wasn't that bad, and then we're gonna tell you about them. Nice. Well after done. After we talk about some other stuff first. <laughs> oh, smooth as silk. Uh, we are here just like this bourbon. Just like this bur. Oh, shush. Uh, we are here to tell you about two bad books that we have chosen for each other at the Iowa City Public Library. You guys know how it works. We're almost a minute in. We've wasted some time, uh, but we're gonna waste more because Susan, I have a question for you. I might have an answer. You might. Which is better, fake American baseball player names by Japanese people, or the name of the year draft? Ooh. I'm going to have to go with the name of the year draft because they're real names that people have. Yeah, but this other one is, it's like, have you ever heard uh, that one video that's very famous on the internet where it sounds like English? It's an Italian guy sings a song. Yeah. And it sounds like English and you almost want to recognize it. Yeah. The the Japanese baseball names are like that. What are some of them? Oh, I'm glad you've asked. Sleeve McDykel. <laughs> Onsen Sweeney. Okay. Daryl Arkadeld. <laughs> Anatoly Smorin. Anatoly Smorin? <clears throat> Anatoly Smorin, or Smorin. I don't know. I don't know how they want to pronounce it. Uh, just re- way undervalued choice. Ray McScriff. <laughs> it sounds like a character from Futurama. <laughs> yeah, I'm Ray McScriff. Uh, my favorite, <clears throat> because it, or some of my favorites include... Uh, Mario McRoleyne. <laughs> what was that? Mario McRoleyne. M C R L W I McRoleyne. Are you sure that's not another A? It's McElwain. No, it's M C R. Oh, it is McRoleyne. McRoleyne. Uh, followed up by Raul Chamber Chamber I really like Todd Gonzalez. Like, it's like they were I going like bo- for Gonzalez, but they didn't quite get there. I like Bonesalis. Bonesalis. But some, obviously. Hey, you know what would happen if he hit a home run? That would be from Bonesalis magic. Yeah. <laughs> the three people we played Quiplash with will think that's very funny. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but everyone's favorite, and as it should, other than Mike Truck, which I really love, T-R-U-K, <laughs> uh, is, of course, Bobson Dagnut. Bobson Dagnut. Yeah, my name is Bobson Dagnut. That Bob sounds like Dagnut. a Homer Simpson curse word. No, it sounds like a Homer Simpson alternative uh, personality. 
Uh, but I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe name of the year is just way, 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 way better. Thanks to uh, ne- names such as Kitty Chiller, Kitty Chiller, Christian Jew, oh, and one of my good favorites that you have to mispronounce in order for it to be amazing, Andy Brandy Casagrande the Fourth. <laughs> Hello, nice to meet you. I'm Mr. Casagrande. There is a name that I would like to submit uh, to the name of the year competition. When I uh, had a part-time job in high school, I ran across the name Camsley Bombfuck. <laughs> You've told me about that and never ceases to amaze. Camsley Bombfuck. I just, like, man, I would have marched right on down to the courthouse as soon as I turned 18 and changed all of that. But that's yeah. neither here nor there. It's neither here nor there. And I, although there are some amazing ones, like Rushmore Cervantes... <laughs> And Dick Posthumous. (laughs) For my money, it does not get any better. Even Hella Jongarius, a dog, that name is Hella Jongarius. Great name. It gets absolutely no better than uh, number nine seed out of the Sithole Regional because it's a bracket. If you have not, by the way, if you have not looked up the name of the year draft, you need to do it. It's been going on for almost a decade now. Uh, number one in the 2017 uh, bracket for my money is actually a nine seed, so I'm picking the underdog, and that is of course Subu Doobie. S U B U space D U B E Y Subu Doobie. Subu Doobie. Subu Doobie. Subu Doobie. Subu Doobie. Which which one is that? Is that Louie Louie? That's Wooly Bully. Are you sure? Is it Moni Dance. Come and learn to dance, super doobie. Okay, I have a confession to make. That song, Louie Louie, mm-hmm. and Moni Moni are virtually interchangeable in my mind. Ba ba da ba ba ba. Whoa, whoa, we got a super doobie. <laughs> Louie Louie Louie. No, it, it no, is it actually. Is <laughs> you messed up your own joke. I just think that how they're mon- entirely the same. How does Moni Moni go? Moni Moni Moni. That's Wooly Bully. <laughs> uh, it's a baseball one that they played at the Bucks. Um, there's hey, clapping. Hey, why do you say let's go Bucks? No, Moni Moni. Money, money, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Mockingbird by James Taylor. No, that's not. I Mock, just, I yeah, just can't say. Money, yeah, <laughs> Louis Bird. They're all the same song. They are not. They are. Anyway, they're this just is just interchangeable. It's like Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon. Okay. I know that technically they're different, but I don't know the this difference a... between the two. This is a sore subject because I think you just don't know who they are. You're like, well, Steve... no, I can't tell them apart. Yeah, but then like you don't. It's. It goes beyond not being able to tell them apart because you just don't know who they are. If I was like, there's a man named Alex at my work. He's Alex Cervantes. And then there's Alex Doobie at the gym. And you'd be like, oh, man, I always get those two guys confused. Well, yeah, you just don't know them. I think that Jimmy Kimmel and Jimmy Fallon look absolutely identical. I think they look like the same person. They have the same sense of humor. They do the same exact show. No. They sound alike. 
They do in any. They do. There's nothing about them. They're Jimmy the Kimmel has a beard. Person. Jimmy Fallon giggles a lot. Jimmy Fallon is like. They a, both giggle a lot. No, Jimmy Fallon is like a mischievous imp. He's from Saturday Night Live. Jimmy, Jimmy Fallon is the one that hosted the Oscars. I right? don't. I can't tell you. I believe that was Jimmy Kimmel actually. <laughs> Jimmy Kimmel is the one. They're who, the same person. It's just one dude. No, Jimmy Kimmel's the one who does the Bachelor stuff. Because he's on ABC. Okay, but then there was a Jimmy Fallon clip interviewing Elijah Wood about The Bachelor. So that really threw me off. No, because Jimmy Fallon, yeah, he's interviewing Elijah Wood, not the rest of The Bachelors. Jimmy Fallon is from SNL. He's impish and whimsical. Jimmy Kimmel is from The Man Show. And he is mean, spirited, and cynical. They're the same person. They're like exact opposites. They're just both named Jimmy. And they look the exact same as each other. One has a beard and the other one doesn't. They're both dark-haired men. And other than that, I don't They're see They're virtually indistinguishable This is like a legit... I am like... This is a, I am not joking. I cannot tell the two apart. Just, I do not know the difference between the two of them. I think they are the same man. It's like... It's like uh, the Two-Faced guy from Batman. You mean Two-Faced? Yeah. Is that that guy? Yeah. <laughs> Two-Faced guy from Batman. The one side is Jimmy Kimmel and the other side is Jimmy Fallon, except they're both the same because they look the same. Both faces are the same face. So everything in that metaphor was wrong. (laughs) Every single piece of it. I was just trying to be relevant and make a pop culture joke. It didn't go very well. The whole point of Two-Face is that both his halves of faces look so much different from the other. I know. And his personalities are so different from each other. But not with the so Jimmy's because they're the same. Yeah, so you're just saying that it's like that guy, just any guy, because <laughs> both halves of his face look the same. Yeah. Anybody, literally anybody but Two Face. Anybody but Two Face is it? <laughs> no. Okay. Really, what what we need to do is figure out. <clears throat> I think this is like going to be a new nonfiction, like a, a segment. Ongoing, no, yeah, segment, an okay. ongoing podcast. It's going to be the new serial about our Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy's Fallon and Kimmel, the same person. Okay, and it's ready? going to be a 30 second podcast and of it just me goes, explaining no. how they oh. are the same person. Okay, let's try it. <clears throat> so welcome to uh, the Jimmy's case. Wait, I've got a case of the Jimmy's? Yeah. Okay, here, here we go. Plum, 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 plum. That's the intro music. Plum, 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 plum. Welcome to the Jimmy's. Where two people try to determine whether Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel are indeed the same person. The answer to this question is yes. They are the same person. Podcast over. Thank you to our sponsors. Intro music was done by Mick Dickinson. Have a good night, Matt. That's the whole podcast because they're the same person. By Squarespace and audiobooks and stuff. They're the same person. Yeah, it's a great app. Anyway, let's let's hop into the books now that we've uh, we've had some good times. Uh, love this cold brown juice, I have to say. But uh, bourbon, not iced coffee, because iced coffee is the devil. Coffee is disgusting. Why would you do that? It's like taking a metaphor about Two Face and making about how same it's <laughs> self defeated. Anyway, Mick, tell me about the problem of evil. Well, and Sandy Chambers, <clears throat> the Grantchester Mysteries by James Runs. Tell me all about this yeah. book, Mick. No, no, no. I, I want to read that again. The Grantchester Mysteries, Sandy Chambers, and the Problem of Evil, James Runcy, is what the cover says. Now, you could interchange any of those things, and it <laughs> could work. The author could be Grantchester Mystery. <laughs> 
That would probably go on one of those names of the year things, but no. Sidney Chambers is the main character. He is a priest in the Anglican Church, which is very different from a priest in the Catholic Church, apparently. Uh, although I, I don't know enough about Anglicism. 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 Uh, I, I have married Catholic, although I have not turned Catholic as of yet. Uh, the virus has not gotten a hold of me. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if my mom still listens to this podcast, but uh, he, is an, he is a priest in the Anglican Church, Sydney Chambers is. He is married to Hildegard, who is a German. This takes place in the early 60s. Okay. And uh, there, this book is a series of four smaller mysteries, and I read two and a half of them, and I refused to go further. And I will explain why once I get to the third mystery. Um, the weird the this book summarized is it's murder mysteries. No, wait, I'm sorry. Two of them of the three that I read were murder murder mysteries. One of them is an art theft mystery, oh, okay. and that was that one was the best one. But uh, <clears throat> two of them are murder mysteries, and. It's the most British thing I've ever read or seen where it's impossible to describe the pacing because there is none. I, like, coming from the Crimson Veil, the Otherworld series, Shadow Looker. Shaded Vision. Shaded Vision. Uh, this is such a come down from that, like, yeah. I stabbed a man in the balls and then we fudged or whatever. But... This is a breakneck, do-nothing pace, where it's just, like, three people turn up dead in this small town, like, blah, 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 one on top of the other. But, like, nothing really ever happens. Mm -hmm. It's a weird little juxtaposition where people are dying and things are happening and mysteries are apparently being solved. But it feels like nothing is happening. It's just, like, a man wasting away his afternoon. Does it? So does it just feel like... It's not a book? It's a summary of a book? No, 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 no. It's, It's... I mean, it is... It is short. It was 75 pages, the mm-hmm. first one was. But everything is treated with the exact same sense of urgency, mm-hmm. which is none, that you're you're kind of at a loss to tell, like, when something important is happening. It's like, instead of you, I don't know. It's the, what I wrote down is that it's the book equivalent of weak tea when crime novels are supposed to be like a shot of whiskey or something. They're yeah. supposed to, like, punch you in the gut. Oof. But it's just like, ooh, I'm just... It's like that very, very pleasant, once I got kind of into the speed of it, it's that like pleasant kind of boring, where it's not necessarily like a drag, but it's just like wasting away the afternoon, Yeah. like looking at the leaves rustle, where like you didn't do anything the whole day, but you, you felt good while you were doing nothing, I suppose. And so I, I get why this book could be popular if you're like an old lady or something. Uh, but then again, it's old ladies you know really get into that different like some of them prefer weak tea and some of them prefer books like this and others of them like will sneak a little scotch by it now and then and mm-hmm. read the those ribald books <laughs> uh, get raunchy up in here yeah speaking of ribald this one never gets raunchy because he's a priest and he's married to a german uh lady who and they seem quite happy although she seems to like constantly be on the lookout for him being bad in any way possible um which gets a little like calm down lady uh, but he is the thirstiest priest I've ever heard of. Isn't he he's married? Inc- yeah. Like he's old? In- he's incredibly thirsty. I wrote, I've never seen such a thirsty priest. And then two, uh, two notes down, just thirsty underlined. Cause the mm-hmm. art, the art heist story, maybe I should wait. Uh, so the first one, dead birds show up on the doorstop. Three people are killed. They're all, they're all priests and they're all probably homosexual. 
uh, or two. I can't remember. No, two are priests and one is a guy who is about to blab about who is actually doing it. And then a, a fourth priest is being murdered when he stops them. But there is some like red herring about homosexuality and this is the 60s and it's also English and it's also a priest. And so it's all very like, oh, he prefers the company of men. Mm-hmm. And I like my beer loud. My... No, I'm not going to do that. Uh, Simpsons quote, that episode is dated. Anyway, uh, for those, Susan didn't get it, but I hope some of our listeners did. Uh there's a red herring about homosexuality. Uh, turns out it's not really the thing. It was the guy who was doing it was killing priests because he was not accepted into the priesthood, uh, and he feels that that's bad. Uh, and so the way that they save him is that they arrive on the scene while he is currently murdering a priest and like carving things into his chest because they were all marked by like. Jeez. They describe it as the mark of the beast, which I took to be six six six, but it seemed like more convoluted than that. I don't know. And so he just like kind of shows up and he's he's stalling for time because he's a priest, not a cop, and he's with like this adulterous uh, newspaper journalist who's like the the supporting actress, uh, and he just kind of is like, "Hey, uh, pray with me." And the guy's like, "I don't wanna." And he goes, well, "You should probably pray with me." And the guy kneels down and starts praying with him until the point where he like gives up. He puts the knife down and like submits himself. Mm-hmm. So. Some of this stuff was pretty religious. Some of it wasn't. I couldn't get really get a hold on it. But the one thing that it proved to me is that this sounds really bad, but I put myself in the shoes of the murderer, and it proved to me that nobody knows what to do when somebody asks you to pray with them. <laughs> <laughs> Not even someone who is currently in the act of murdering feels comfortable being like, no, thank you. I'm busy. <laughs> they, Everyone has to be like, oh... Yeah, sure. So let's do that. Okay. Yeah. Do we, are, do we kneel? Po- do we they knelt. hold hands? And then How the guy he this? was murdering started praying. That's <laughs> why so he like woke back up and started praying. And so like, well, I don't want to cast aspersions on faith. Your faith is your own and it's very important to you and everything. But it was very funny to me to see a man murdering and be like, oh, um, okay, I guess we can, I guess we can pray if that if you're into that. You know, and that just felt really true to life, but this also is the fake. second murder mystery that we've read for Bibliovile that has been solved through prayer. Nice. The yeah. other one was the anti-feminist one, if I remember correctly. The the killer was the anti-feminist. No, the killer was the feminist, right? No, the killer was the anti-feminist. In your Victorian mystery? Oh no, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I got all that confused. Apparently, I'm Kinda not like very Jimmy good at Kimmel remembering and, things yeah. too. Like two face. Um, so the second story is the thirsty one, and it only gets thirstier from here. It's like he's snacking down on. It's not like weak tea. I take that back. It's not like weak tea. It's like the the stereotypical like bowl of peanuts at the bar, mm-hmm. where you're just kind of like you're doing something else and you're eating the nuts. And so if someone goes like, "How are how are the mixed nuts at this bar?" You're like, "I don't know." And they're like, "You were eating them all day. How do you yeah. not know what they taste like?" Because it, it, it didn't you matter. Didn't pay to attention. Me. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like that. So that explains why the guy's thirsty. But he's at a museum for whatever reason, just museuming it up. Uh, and by the way, everybody, everything is very British and high class where like, you know how, have you ever seen men have a conversation about sports where it's like, oh, the tight end for the Raiders is doing fantastic this season. And then they go really into depth and you're like, mm-hmm. what you even, why is there this much to talk about? Imagine if people could talk like that, but about actual like high culture things. Yeah. And you're just like, this is way more boring than sports. Because at least I get like man catches ball. 
yeah. now we're submitted into the art world and they start talking about like classical music and others oh, concerto and B really had some fantastic archipelagos. And I think that's a series of islands. I don't remember what I was going for. What's the music thing? Arpeggios. Arpeggios. Thank you. Yeah. Well, when you think about it, notes are kind of like islands. Islands in a stream. That is what we are. I don't know the rest of the words. Wooly bully too. <laughs> uh, Louie, Louie. <laughs> so he's at this art uh, museum. He's checking out a painting and he turns around and there's a French woman singing in French and he obviously turns around and she's wearing a fur coat and she takes it off and she's <gasps> naked underneath. And so she's putting on this big show of walking around and he's all like, she, she verily, because it's all very British, she glided across the floor instead of walking and He's enraptured by this beauty and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And so one of the running jokes of the second story, it sounds like I'm on, I'm upstairs, but the second uh, story was the difference between naked and nude, where naked is like if someone caught you taking a bath, whereas nude is like if you're a work of art or something. Mm. So she is nude because she's a work of art. And so she's walking around, and it turns out she's providing this distraction because after she leaves, they fi- figure out a painting has been stolen. And the thing uh, he just continues to be super thirsty about is that this lady, even when he finds her clothes on and he goes to this uh, performance art thing. And I've been to performance art. And yeah, it's it's hecka weird. And this is taking place in London in the 60s. So it's especially hecka weird. And it actually got me my first genuine giggle when he's there. Uh, Let's see. Sydney tried to think of an Sydney is our priest detective. Sydney tried to think of an excuse for going. He was already keen to talk to Amanda, who is an art critic, and ask her a few questions about the London art scene. He supposed that it would be it would at least give him the opportunity to see her again and to experience the quote buzz of creativity at first hand. Mm-hmm. He also thought he could justify his potential attendance at the quote happening by arguing that he didn't want anyone to think he had become a fuddy duddy. It was 1962 for goodness sake. He needed to know what young people were thinking and doing. There was a freshness in your life, their lives. He knew it, he had heard it, and he had seen it in their fashions and the way they spoke. Now he wanted to understand all of this new energy and be a part of a groovy modern age that had no experience of war. He's a veteran of World War II. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, Sydney didn't want to be one of those trendy vicars who are already always getting their guitars out and going on television. God <laughs> forbid, he warned himself. So that was I, I like that a lot. But then at the same time... It pops into just like, I don't want to read this anymore. I'm coming, her husband replied. He climbed the stairs with both mugs in one hand and opened the door. Do you think modern painting is any good? Sydney asked. I've just been doing some research into abstract expressionism and kinetic art, and I'm not convinced. Figurative work may be old-fashioned, but I still think there's a place for it in the modern world. People are fascinated by the human form. Here's your cocoa. What What do you think, my wife? My wife. I'm not sure about all those blank white canvases and the monochrome... Propositions of Vase Klein. What's Y V E S? Isn't it Eve? Eve, sure. Klein. I rather like Sicker and his new like. Wow, I don't. I, I don't know anything about that. So I, I can't really follow don't that care. At all. Yeah. Uh, so those those two were followed up, and then they get to the art scene in London, and everyone's very very pretentious, which makes sense because they're like performance artists, mm-hmm. but they're still just like, woof. Uh, turns out they end up going to to France to find the lady. Uh, who was the owner of the museum's estranged daughter that she didn't know he was her dad. And it gets really complicated for no reason. And it turns out, this is the crime spoiler alert, 
that she paraded around naked as a distraction, which makes sense. That mm-hmm. is what the, the first thought was for her accomplice to go cut out the frame or cut out the painting from the frame. Now, it turns out she did that while the guard's back was pull, like turned, then made a big show of uh, parading around naked while she had the painting up her sleeve uh, in the fur coat and then carried the fur coat with the painting out. And it's like, well... If you didn't have to provide a distraction, if you had already done this, why didn't you just walk out? <laughs> like, why were you naked? Well, yeah, why were you naked, number one? To, but that's like, why didn't that makes sense. Why didn't you just leave? That's the, yeah, why didn't you just walk yeah. out? If you were already done, why didn't you just leave, was the question. Uh, it does bring up a good point, because they went back to France uh, to find the lady once she's gotten away with it. Uh, and then they, uh, so the priest has been in World War II, he was a part of the D-Day landings. Oh, wow. Yeah, he landed at Juno Beach, which uh, I was a little tiffed at because the Juno Beach landings were mainly Canadian. And so I don't know what was going on there. But the interesting part, and the part that I would absolutely love to read a book about if I got to choose to read a book, was that he was not like a chaplain or anything. He was like a soldier. He's an enlisted mm-hmm. soldier. And so I would absolutely love to read a book about a like a person who comes home for World War II and then enters the priesthood. Yeah. And like struggles with like, I've killed all like several people. And during also war. seen some shit. Yeah. And like, I, how do I struggle with my faith in this? How do I pretend that I'm a like, how do I wrestle with the idea of me being a good person or the idea of a benign God and a, a just God when I've seen war? Yeah. I would love to read a book about that. But this isn't that book. Another thing that interests me is that a World War II veteran from England is married to a German woman. And I feel like that's another pretty interesting angle, too. To the to the book's credit, it does bring that up. Yeah. That she actually uh, had left Germany uh, shortly before, or did something that w- the author was able to say, well, she's not a Nazi or something like that. And, like, yes, but I, I feel like there's still going to be yeah. some, like, there's going to be no. some baggage there. Well, yeah, like, when, she, when she went to London, people were giving her, like, the artists were giving her guff and everything mm-hmm. about, like, well, we got to build this new museum since this one got blown up. I suppose there probably aren't any in Berlin. You're still picking up the rubble. And so there, I to this author, this was, for what it is supposed to be, it was very good at being that thing. It was just not a thing that appealed to you. It was very much not a thing yeah. that appealed to me. Uh, but another example of his thirstiness is in the third book. So I'm getting close to the end. Uh, he gets, this was really weird because the first two had been like, uh, hey, welcome to the story. Crime happens, <laughs> right? Uh, whereas this one was like, Sydney was sitting in the October coffee shop and it's very like, just kind of we're dipping in and out of his life, which mm-hmm. sure, okay, if we're doing short stories, I get that. Uh, and then it turns out like a movie has come to town and he's been pegged by the director who is an army buddy of his to play a priest in this movie. Okay. And so he's not an actor. So, like, a solid 66% of the, the third book, as much as I've read of it, at least, uh, where I expect it to end, was about him just making this movie and, like, existing around actors, which was pretty funny. Yeah. If I had known the, the character better, I probably would have enjoyed it more. Yeah. But I'm like, I thought this was, I, I legitimately thought not, no crime was going to happen. Yeah. It was just going to be, like, a slice of life or whatever. But this dude continues to be thirsty. Daisy Playfair, which first of all, Bond girl, if I've ever mm-hmm. heard one, is the uh, uh, makeup lady. And so he has to get aged up to be like the old priest in the village or whatever. Mm-hmm. Daisy Playfair spoke in a husky voice that sounded like a sore throat and her, with her tongue forward in her mouth as if she was about to offer an all too alluring kiss. Ugh. 
Her lipstick was glossily pink, her skin was tanned, and her cleavage was pleasingly visible. Sydney tried not to stare and composed himself by looking down to the floor and concentrating on her white slingbacks, only to discover that Daisy also possessed the most erotic feet he had ever seen. Oh, no. Oh, no. He's got a foot fetish? He's a priest with a foot fetish. Thirsty priest. Thirsty priest. Thirsty. At the end of the art book, by the way, he bones his wife. We don't. We don't huh. have to see it. Which, well, that's thank God. Good. Yeah, he bones his wife. Yeah, it's it's good for that thing. Yeah. Uh, but then, so the book is getting to the end. Like the, it turns out a guy drowned, and they th- they think there's foul play. They think the coat's been weighted down. I didn't get to see the conclusion or who did it, because his dog is also in the movie and. They want the dog to look worried when, like, there's a drowning scene or whatever, right? So the guy drowns and it's an quote-unquote accident, but they suspect foul play. So during the scene, the dog gets worried about, like, the dummy they dumped into the river and jumps into this river in the middle of November in England. Aww. And gets, like, really cold and he had already brought up in the, the start of the chapter that he's looking a little arthritic and everything. And so then it, like, takes a break and it's like, yeah, we're going to have to put your dog down. And I went, whoosh! And the book flew across the room because I was like, I am not reading that. No. I love Bibliophile. I love doing this. But I'm not putting myself through the almost certain depression that reading reading a dog being put down because it's old and sad and sick. Nope. Uh, not doing that. Bring. No, I don't even want not. to talk about that. The dog lives forever. That's what I wrote. I said, after this blase tea of a book, <laughs> why is the dog dying? Dogs live forever. <laughs> yes, they do. They all live forever, and nothing bad ever happens to them because they are all good dogs. They're all good dogs, Brett. All of them. All of them. Matt. All good dogs. Dave. I'm addressing each one of our named listeners. Michelle. Michelle. Jake. They are all good dogs. Charles. You better believe they're all good dogs. Anyway, that was as much as I could get through because I was like... Okay, when you said, when you were talking about how it was as much as you could get through and then something happened, I definitely thought you were going to be like, and then my wife walked through the door and was ready to record Bibliovile no, so I, was, I couldn't finish no, it. No, 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 no. I was totally ready to go several days ago. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whatever. I don't, you're not my supervisor. I don't have to explain myself to you. But in any case, that is the problem of evil. The reason it's called the problem of evil is because during the first one where he's killing a bunch of priests, there are way too many discussions about the nature of good and evil and what it means about God. And it's just a bunch of priests spouting theology at each other. Seems like they really crammed a lot into those 75 pages per story. Yeah. And it was like almost exactly 75 pages per story. Anyway, The Problem of Evil by Sydney Chambers is the main character. It's by James Runcie. Uh, Susan, you apparently lucked out. I tried to. I did. I have to be honest. I'm going to look you in the face and tell you the truth, as I always do. I don't lie to you. But I tried to find you the highest fantasy I could find. The problem is that high fantasy is like a billion pages. Yeah, you can't do that to me during travel season. Absolutely not. And also, everything's been games of throne. Yeah. And so now it's all about political intrigue and the, the queen's court and everything. It's like, man, I just want some elves. Yeah. Dame la elves. The hard thing, the the problem that I have with trying to find high fantasy for Bibliovile, and we've discussed this before, it is impossible to tell good fantasy from bad fantasy based on cover alone. Yeah, and all fantasy is bad fantasy until you read it. And like... If you look at, my sister had 
these like super old school paperback versions of the Lord of the Rings when we were little. And they stunk. And they looked like the most ridiculous books of all time. And I always remember thinking that she was really weird for reading these weird, what looked to me like old people books that looked like the characters that were on the covers were very strange. It did not look like a good book at all based on the cover alone. They're all good books, Brent. They're all good books, Brent. But then like, I think in high school or middle school or something, I read them for the first time and really liked them. Mm. But you can't tell based on cover. Absolutely not. And I'm going to take a stand right now and say The Lord of the Rings, I don't enjoy reading them. Yeah. The best one is the first one where they walk around a lot. Yeah, and they run into Tom Bombadil, and then nothing happens. Yeah. There's not a whole lot that happens in the first book. They just walk around a lot. It's the it's very English of it's them. My favorite, it's my favorite one anyway, of those three books. Yeah, because I could not find high fantasy, I went for uh, sci-fi. And in order to get that just like mwah, quasi-fan fiction taste, I chose a branded book of Star Wars, and not only Star Wars, but Star Wars Battlefront, which means, Sue... That you are reading a book about a video game about a movie series. How did it go? I actually really liked it. Damn it! Yeah. Shoot. I was not, no part of me was expecting to like this book. I was, I was not super pleased when you handed it to me. But I actually, I thought it was really good. That's good, um, a couple, I suppose. A couple years ago, you and I played Mass Effect. <laughs> and by and by you and I played, I mean, I did all the talking parts, and then you did all the shooting parts. Because I don't like the shooting parts of video games. I mostly just like to watch them as though they were movies and occasionally participate. Yeah, uh, I just bought the new Mass Effect as well. Oh, nice. Yeah, today. Maybe someday we can... Then when we played Mass Effect 2, you tried to make me do the shooty bits, and then I stopped playing it because I don't like to do the shooty bits. So maybe we can start over and you can do the shooty bits Or again. yeah, we can that play Mass nice. Effect 2. I liked yeah. it because I yeah. like seeing you. You always won for the badass one, and I'm always a nice guy. Yeah. Which is really weird. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. No, You're a nice I guy. Yeah, I that makes sense. But you being like the mean, curmudgeonly renegade was confusing I'm a me. grumpy old woman, Nick. Yeah. What? So the reason that I bring up Mass Effect is that there are parts of this book that reminded me a lot of Mass Effect. So it's a it's a war book. <laughs> like my name's Susan Dickinson, and this is my favorite book on the Citadel. <laughs> so Mass Effect fans find that hilarious. I guarantee. You. Okay. Um. But so I can't I can't remember what his name was. But in Mass Effect, you have a very large alien friend who has a lot of guns. I think Rex. you have several of them. Yes, Rex. And there's a character in Star Wars Battlefront Twilight Company that reminds me a lot of Rex. He's like a large alien man and he's like kind of a mercenary and he's part of this Twilight Company. And like it, it like there are a lot of very similar vibes between Mass Effect and this book. And so like that was a thing that I thought a lot about while I was reading it. It is also very much a Star Wars book. Mm. Like all of the Star Wars tropes that I feel like you can kind of count on in any Star Dad, Wars movie. Daddy issues? Um, yes, daddy I've, issues I've are our main a, character. I've got a bad feeling about this. He, well, not those exact words, but that sentiment, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, um, like a, a roguish kind of character who like you're not... He's not really, uh, he's not super he's part looking. of the, yeah. 
he's not like he doesn't buy into the ideals of the rebellion, but he's gonna go along with it because he's a good fighter, right. and that's kind of where he's at so right now. Don't get cocky. I thing. love you. That's I thing. know. Oh, um, why did you have to step on my line? <laughs> I could have been cool for once. Um, thirsty. Thirsty. So another Star Wars trope: there is a droid with a bad attitude. Um, who like talks too much and people get annoyed with it, like there is in every single Star Wars movie. It's kind of weird, right? Yeah. What's with the tropes? I don't know. Like I get the daddy issues because it's like this series is about daddy issues and about fate. I get that, but then it's like, oh wait, um, so the same characters again? Yeah. Okay, same characters. Again. Like so the 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 droid was really the thing that um kind of like made that click in my brain that there are so many star wars tropes that are present in this book like i saw it at first but then when they introduced the droid character i was like oh yeah this is a star wars book um the droid's name is m2m5 he is a mechanic droid and he's just like the super brass he never stops talking and he like he was really good at his job, but everyone kind of gets annoyed with him. Like, it, it was basically a straight copy of the droid from Rogue One. Ugh. And who I hated. I hated the droid from I Rogue One. I also hated it. The more I think about it, the more I did not like Rogue One. I didn't like Rogue One at all. And, interestingly enough, one of the, the one of the big reasons why I didn't like Rogue One, I was very bored with it for a number of reasons, but primarily because there were no women in Rogue One, Except the, main, the main, main character was a woman, but there were no other women, and I just like I stuff like that just doesn't hold my attention. What? I'm just not interested. I just have a hard time caring when it's just a bunch of dudes on yeah. the screen. And that that's been a that's been a criticism of Star Wars for a long time. In the original trilogy, let's name women. Leia. Uh, Do you want me to go? Han or um 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 um, um Luke's aunt. Yeah. Nice. Um, I didn't think you'd get that. I know his uncle's Uncle Ben, Aunt. Oh yeah, I always want to say right. it's. I always want to say it's Aunt M, but that's definitely the Wizard of Oz. I want to say Aunt Martha, but that's from uh, Superman. Yeah. Um. Uncle Ben. No, Uncle Ben is from Spider Man. Uncle Wait. Ben is from Spider Man, but I think it's also from no, because it's Ben Kenobi. Those are literally, I think, the only women. Sue, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listener, and I'm sorry, Sue. Yeah. Uncle Owen. Uncle Owen. And Aunt Beru. Once I got Owen, okay, I got Okay, so Beru. there's Aunt Beru, there's Princess Leia. Um, I'm pretty sure there's one woman in, like, the Alliance, in, like, a higher position within the Alliance. You know I don't is? know what her name is. Mon Mothma. That's, like, it. Those are the only three ladies. Don't forget about Padme. Are we doing the original trilogy? Did I was doing the original trilogy. Oh, Mon That's Mothma. Um, there's the Twilight Dancer at Jabba's Palace. Okay. You have a sex appeal. Yeah. And then... Leia. <laughs> that's it. And so when I when I started this book, I was very concerned that that was going to happen again. I thought it was going to have some like, not as bad, but I thought it was going to be like reading Choosers again, where the only women are just plot devices or sex objects. And Can you imagine Star Wars Choosers? No, that would be atrocious. He took out his lightsaber. But here's the thing that I was really into about this book. There are a whole bunch of women Really? Like, I would say easily 50% of the characters in general. Background characters, tertiary characters, secondary characters. Primary characters? Primary characters, main characters. 
Half of them are women. What? That, wait, let, that math doesn't add up. Right? Half, half of people aren't women. Exactly. Slightly more than the half of people. The hell is this? So, of the main, there's, there's I would say, seven primary Oof. characters. Glue. Not like we follow their oh. perspectives. Okay. We follow the perspective of one guy. And that oh. He's a man. His name is Captain Namir. Um, he is part of Twilight Company, which is uh, a, a part of the, the Rebel Alliance. And they are doing what everyone else is doing and trying to defeat Rebellion. the Empire. So we follow Captain Amir, but they're like in his main cast of characters, there are about six other people who factor heavily into the story. And four of those six, so four of our seven main characters mm-hmm. that we spend the most time with are women. Nice. Um, and they're good ladies too. I, I wrote all, good ladies, all about them in my blog post, but like, they're good characters. They're not all one thing. There's no, like, this is a villain, and this is a hero, and this is a young, scared girl. Looking. You yeah. know, they, they don't they don't totally fit into archetypes. And I would say that about all of the characters nice. in this book. It's not just a bunch of stereotypes, which I kind of expected from a Star Wars book. I also expected that. Um, they were it. all, like, really, like, very well-developed. Um, a one thing that I was very surprised about was that this was the author's first novel. Shit. And I thought this was just incredible for good. a first novel that he had all of these really well-developed characters. He had some tropes, but I think that's part of writing that's a book in the Star, Star Wars. Wars series and not the author. But like he avoided a lot of really common pitfalls and stereotypes with characters and plot devices and things. It was really good. Damn it. Are you going to start crazy. reading the EU now? Because, like, the EU, apparently, like, the extended Extended universe. universe, yeah. The extended universe pre-Force Awakens, when apparently the extended universe was, like, just put out to pasture. Yeah. Now it's the Star Wars Legends. Um, I'm currently pushing out my glasses that I don't have on. Uh, but apparently it's pretty good. Timothy Zahn writes a lot of stuff, and he's, like, a respected art- mm-hmm. author. So I would love to have, like, extended universe conversations about you. Yeah. Because, like, everything else in my life, Sue... I did not read any of those books. And you know a whole and lot I about it. I know a whole lot about it. I don't know how you function. What's well, your favorite Extended Universe character? Because mine's Kyle Katarn. I don't know who that is. He's um, like a Han Solo, but he's also a Jedi. Oh. Um, my favorite character... Or Dash Rendar. My favorite character in this book was probably Roach, but she died. Oh. Yeah. Um, she got burnt out. Just to let you know where this fits in, in the Star Wars trilogy... Um, they provided us a nice little timeline oh, in the beginning. So this is, this book, uh, is supposed to fit in the timeline between episode four, A New Hope, and episode five, The Empire Strikes Back. Um, so this is... Before Hoff. You know what, though? I think it really intersects with episode five because we see Hoth. We see really? Hoth happen. We're at Hoth. Um, the Twilight are, Company is at Hoth? The Twilight Company is at Hoth. Huh. We're there when Hoth is evacuated. We're there when Darth Vader comes to Hoth and is looking for Leia and is looking for the Millennium Falcon. He interacts with a couple of our characters. So it, this is like overlaps The what? Empire Strikes Back. And, and is like basically the characters in this are doing some of the background work to get us ready for Return of the Jedi. That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's like Rogue One if it was good. And yeah. And cared about the characters at all. And it was, I, I think the thing that you were really wanting to see out of Rogue One was a Star Wars war movie. Yes. Oh, Like God. a genre movie. A pri- and- saving Private 
Ryan in Star Wars. And that that was this, really. I think this would make a killer movie if they nice. did it well. Um, I mean, so Twilight Company is sort of like a ragtag group. They're led by a man named Captain Howell. And Why are there two captains? They are... So there's not two captains. I introduced our main character as Captain Namir. He becomes the captain reluctantly uh, after the death of Captain Howell. Oh. Um, and that's the thing that. about Twilight Company is that pretty much everyone dies because they are um, they were on the the mid rim and they were doing this whole big like offensive and it didn't go super well. And then after Hoth. The Empire Strikes Everything back. is scattered. Yeah. Like, everyone is scattered. So the, this company of soldiers doesn't know what to do. Yeah. And at one at some point, they have picked up a woman who claims to be uh, a spy. She claims to, to be on the side of the Alliance. She's spying, like, trying to give them information on the Empire. She was the governor of a planet on the outer rim called Haderall Prime. I love... One of my favorite things throughout this review... Has been seeing you like butt up against the parts of like I'm just gonna throw these words yep. out here and trust that they make sense. Yeah, I loved watching that happen. Yeah, it's been really tough for Susan, but that's fine. Um, so they picked this woman up on Hateral Prime. Adorim. Okay, okay, I got. Coruscant I see that. Near the center. They were there. They were at Coruscant. No, they, they talked about Coruscant. Yeah, because that's like the the seat of the government. They talked about Coruscant. Okay. Um. So this woman is like trying to feed them secrets about how to destroy the logistics of the empire. She she worked in logistics. She helped figure out, um, you know, how to get materials from point A to point B to manufacture things and then take the manufactured product from point B to point C, all of that kind of stuff. And now she's using that information to help the Alliance destroy the empire. At point B. And so... She's got, after Hoth, that's when Captain Howell dies. Oh. And so they're scrambling, trying to regroup. Captain Namir reluctantly takes on the captaincy. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want to be the leader of the company. Um, they're following this woman. Her name is Every Chalice. They're following her plan. Not just one chalice? To try to destroy a bunch of, like, manufacturing plants and factories yeah. and, like, raw materials and and resources so that they can like try to cripple the empire um and a whole bunch of stuff happens it's just like it's a it's a good war book i mean the the plot line was interesting but it was also easy to follow i think war books like choosers of the slain get really into the guns and the 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 sexual assault well that too um but also like the battle plan and all this stuff and it gets it gets to the point where it's so detailed that a you don't give a shit and b you can't follow it yeah um and this wasn't like that like it didn't get on its own dick about like (laughs) blasters and guns and um, x42 infantry and all this stuff um and then the characters were just really good um namir we actually meet him in the first chapter as a as a child when he was a basically a child soldier on his home planet and he became a soldier because he felt like it was a way to get some money and to be guaranteed a meal every day because his family was super poor. That was the only part of Rogue One that I liked mm-hmm. is that the male protagonist get this I don't remember his name. That that shows a lot about yeah. Rogue One that I don't remember the dude's name. 
the woman is Jin Urso. Yep. And the only reason I remember that is because it was everywhere on like the reviews and everything. Anyway, yeah. Calvert no, Lando is Calrissian. The one the main guy. Yeah. The one thing I liked, one of the things I liked about Rogue One was that that dude like is kind of not great. Yeah. He's the, there's the one guy who's like the informant and he's scared and then he shoots him down in the alley so he can escape and not have someone tattle on him. I thought that was a pretty good like yeah. rebellions are kind of gross and dirty and mm-hmm. stuff. And Star Wars, the original trilogy, didn't really recognize that about like, oh, well, it's just a bunch of dudes in suit. The other thing I liked about Rogue One, by the way, is the mustaches and the burnt orange yeah. suits. I did like that. Like the fashion was still the same as it was in the 70s. But the original Star Wars trilogy did not recognize rebellions take a lot of secret keeping and secret keeping takes a lot of murder and shadiness and shadiness. And yeah. so I, I, I liked that part about Rogue One, but then the movie kept happening. Yeah. Yeah. Not a fan, but that was something that they, that was very present in the characters in this book. None of them were your ideal war heroes. No one's Luke. No, there were no Lukes. There, like, there wasn't even like a like a Han Solo. Like, no one was clear cut. This is the type. This person is supposed. They're to all be. Landos. Um and. They, they like, acknowledge that a lot, too. There's one woman. Her name is Brand. She's a really experienced soldier. She, like, they often acknowledge her backstory. They never go into it. She used to be a bounty hunter, and she got into Twilight Company because she had an assignment to kill Howell. Mm. And she got to the point where she had a gun up to his head and somehow, instead of killing him, wound up being one of his soldiers. And so she's a really talented soldier. She has a lot of respect from everyone in the company. And she refuses any sort of leadership position. For some reason, we don't know why. That's just not that's not something that she wants to have. Um, she's really well respected, but she doesn't have any friendships or close relationships with anybody because she's been a soldier her whole life and she's seen a lot of people die. Mm-hmm. And so she's afraid to get close to other people because she works in Twilight Company and everyone she's friends with dies and it's just like it's stuff like that where no one is really clear cut and even our main character our hero mm-hmm. um you know he he doesn't necessarily believe in the rebellion he doesn't feel like he's a part of that or that he really buys in and supports it he's doing this because it's his job and he cares about the company he doesn't really buy into the idea of the rebellion um Another super interesting character is a stormtrooper. Hmm. Um, so they end up on the planet, and you're going to have to connect Sullust. Sullust. They end up on the planet Sullust. And throughout the book, we get occasional chapters from the perspective of Stormtrooper 475, um, who is on Sullust. Not THX 113? No. That's uh, George Lucas's like whole thing. Oh. That's why stormtroopers have three letters and three numbers. Oh, interesting. I'm not sure what her letters are. I just know that she's 475. Um, And she became a stormtrooper because it was a way to get money and food and medicine to be able to take care of her family. Does not necessarily believe in the Empire. But also doesn't necessarily believe in the Rebellion. Um, Her family, a lot of them are rebels. She's lost the respect of a lot of people in her community and in her friend group by becoming a stormtrooper. But she does it because she's got to put food on the table. And so, like, her motives are complicated. And in the end, Twilight Company winds up up taking over this planet. They drive the Empire away from Celeste. 
and is that my pronouncing right? Solist. Emphasis on the first syllable. Solist. And she, I mean, she's no longer a stormtrooper. She goes back to working in her uncle's cantina. And people keep saying to her, like, oh, you picked the wrong side. And she even says up to the very end, she's like, I'm not sure that I did pick the wrong side. I don't think there is a right side to pick. I don't think either of these options are actually good for our planet. So it's like, I don't know. Like, it was very interesting to me that you had a lot of complicated characters that had thoughts and feelings and backstories and motivation here's the thing though i think by you liking this book and this book existing i've made the conclusion that you don't really like star wars because star wars is not about gray characters and about like backstory it's about very much look at this man he's wearing black clothes and a mask he has a cape he's evil don't like this man. No, and I get that, but like, I just think this was a really interesting twist on it. I I appreciate. I am interested in reading it. Yeah. This is the first time we've ever had a Billy about where I'm like, that sounds pretty good. It's pretty good. Damn it. It's pretty good. Damn I, it. I liked it. it. It had. And another thing, I was I was talking to my sister about this today. Hi Michelle. Um, Spoilers. About well, this book. About the book. Yeah. Oh. Not no, in ha- intense detail. But nothing I, about camping? No, nothing about camping. Um I now I totally lost my train of thought. You talk to Michelle Dickinson. about secret details instead of me on the podcast. I can't talk to you before the podcast. We can't talk to him. I totally forgot what I was gonna say. You ruined it. Ruined it. You ruined it. <laughs> Just give me a second. Was it like back. Bops and Dagnut? You're not helping! Boats, Boats, which also appears on the Name of the Year. (laughs) Star Wars is good versus evil. This book is about... Oh, I remember. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, we're going to have to cut all of that out. Nope. So I was talking to my sister today about this book and about the female characters in this book. And one of the things that I really appreciated about it is that all of the characters, but especially the female ones, were complicated and flawed without being, air quotes, flawed. Like, mm. rom-com Girl flawed. Interrupted. Yeah, like, I feel like we, we were talking about the cop-outs that you see in a lot of TV or movies or fiction where, oh, I'm going to make my character complicated by making her clumsy or making her 10 pounds overweight or giving her like a tragic childhood backstory. Yeah. And like those are the three things that people a girl throw in to make their female characters complicated. And this didn't do that. And another thing that I also appreciated was that many of the characters, men and women, were older. Hmm. Like they weren't all 20, 30 something. They were like there were soldiers that were in their 40s. The governor, Chalice, was in her 50s. And. It's, like, I feel like age isn't a thing that is, like, scorned or pitied or, like, ridiculed or made a joke of. There's a lot of, like, oh, you have to give respect to these people that have been fucking soldiers for... Language. 35 years and haven't died yet. Mm-hmm. And so that was pretty cool, too. It was good. I enjoyed reading it. 
Um, I had forgotten we were recording today and I thought I had until next week. And so I didn't really do any reading over the weekend. And I still cruised through this in plenty of time and finished the whole thing. It was good. I liked it. Like, you should read it before we take it back. I think it was good. Yeah, but I just bought Mass Effect, as we said, so that's probably not going to happen. I'll read it out loud to you as you play Mass Effect. thank you, ever. (laughs) You can listen to my atrocious pronunciations of the Star Wars planet names. Gin or so. Heineral Prime. Tatooine. Tatooine. Alderaan. Alderaan. Did you know, by the way, before we close up shop, that there in the Star Wars universe, there's Tatooine. Mm-hmm. And there's another planet named Dantooine. Yeah. What the hell is that about? Aren't they close to each other? Nah. Um. Wait, how do you know that? Is it in this book? They both got referenced in the book. Mm. But it's like, one's a desert planet and the other's like grass. Because apparently in Star Wars, planets are only one thing. Yeah. Because like Earth. It's just Earth all around. Just the Just one, one thing climate. the whole way around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Tatooine and Dantooine, it's like, are they brothers from an annoying parent? He's my brother planet. Do you think planets have brother planets? Like like cities have sister cities? Yeah, I bet they do. And they send each other postcards. They're like pen pals. Neat. We, I need to have you read the Boba Fett series because the Boba Fett series is really good. It's told from the perspective of a man named Dengar who is not such a great uh, bounty hunter, and he, like, runs into Boba Fett, and he's like, oh, crap, I'm not a very good bounty hunter. <laughs> he sees Boba Fett doing everything. It's pretty great. Uh, the extended universe can be good. But anyway, with that relative first of, like, a legitimately, I enjoyed this, I'm going to recommend this book yeah. to Bibliovile, other than our one Christmas, like, here's a good book kind of thing. Yeah. So I guess I, I, guess I failed? I guess I won big. I said, well, you're, you're married to me, so... Oh, yeah. Anyway, this should bring this episode of Bibliovile to a close. I have been uh, Mick Dickinson. You can follow me on Twitter at Dickima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. Uh, you can also follow Susan Johnson at... Wait, you're Susan Dickinson. Uh-huh. You can follow Susan Dickinson, my wife, at S-U-U-U-S-A-N-J on twitter.com um we have a round of blog posts maybe coming out yes. i wrote one i maybe will Mix actually write one, one too um on mixed blog which is opinions and other and the intro music for our podcast is babe of the night by the band elixir off of their album rampant and our outro music is by the one and only michael dean dickinson michael dean dickinson do lay lu lay lu do and also garage band loops so, thank you so much for listening. If you want, by the way, I'm gonna, we're gonna like let you peek behind the curtain for a second. If you would like the written blog post to continue past this episode, please let us know. They take a, like, ironically, even though we've been recording for 58 minutes at this point, uh, they take seemingly longer to do mm-hmm. and like more work and more effort. So, if you're just like a podcast kind of gal, then that's fine. Uh, but if you like reading the the written blog posts as well, please let us know with the reaction gifs and everything. We'll keep going. This is mainly for like us and everything, but you can still tell us like, hey, I like this thing. We're very, very, very influenced by what people think. Mm-hmm. And leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on SoundCloud. Retweet. Tell your friends. Friends. 
Yeah. I can tell friends about this? You can tell friends about this. Oh, snap. Mick finally told his coworkers after a whole year. Well, yeah, but I want to be cool, says the guy who talks about D&D &D and Star Wars every single episode. Anyway, bye. I love you.